Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And this November, we have uh, put our liturgical church nerd hats on for a brief series looking at special days that happen in November that are either right in the thick of the church year or church year adjacent. Last time, we talked about the very, very ancient tradition going back to the 800s celebration of all saints and how it spills over into related ideas like all souls or Halloween and Dia de los Muertos. But there's more November to come. So what shall we talk about today? What special day shall we talk about today? Thanksgiving! Hooray! Everybody's favorite eating holiday. (laughs) And... I guess I was, I was going to say, as we get started, it, this is a different kind of a day than uh, a church mandated or church year mandated or festival like All Saints, but mm-hmm. this is a different kind of a deal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give like a very brief 30 to 60 second recap of okay. the history of Thanksgiving as a holiday in the United States. Okay. Uh, because I would say that there's probably been ancient Thanksgiving stuff. Yeah. Throughout history, uh, we're not going to dig any into that history, but just the U.S., because that's where we're all from. Um, although Canada has similar histories and traditions, um, but in a different month, they celebrate in October. But for the U.S., we've been celebrating Thanksgiving consistently since the Revolutionary War. When, um, no, sorry, I'm sorry, the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln made a national Thanksgiving day as a holiday Mm -hmm. but periodically between the plymouth colonists and the civil war there's been some form of thanksgiving since uh like 1621 when Mm -hmm. the first mythical thanksgiving feast happened and traditionally our thanksgiving day has result revolved around a big meal to celebrate and to give thanks for the blessings in our lives, but especially for the good harvest that has just happened that Mm -hmm. fall. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's only been since 1863 that it has been a national federal holiday. It's interesting to think about what, what would have been going on when that was first made a national federal holiday? We were like still in the midst of fighting the civil war with the outcome still very much in doubt. Um, and it, it, in some ways it feels like that's such a Lincoln thing to do. Cause like he, you know, he could, he could in, in speeches, you know, talk about like, we're in the midst of something terrible. And yet we also can be thankful for there's good things that are still happening while we are in the midst of something really, really awful that's happening. Um, and, uh, I, I guess I, I don't always think about that, that dimension to this story that you can be thankful even in the midst of terrible things happening. Yep. Yeah. And so I, and here's the part where I'm fuzzy on. So like, I know that it was established federal secular holiday in the 1860s. And I know that today Christian churches in particular seem to really like having a special worship service the week of Thanksgiving as their Thanksgiving worship service. Mm -hmm. What I do not know is how long that has been going on. Mm -hmm. like because you know especially in the places where i've served it's typically a ministerial 
worship service. So yeah. it's all the Christian churches coming together in that community to say, hey, yeah, together we're going to have one worship service and we're going to like, it's going to be a Thanksgiving service and we're going to be like really thankful to God. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> what this worship service is going to be all about. And it's mm -hmm. a like community worship service. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't really know, has that been happening since the Civil War? Was that a 1900s thing coming out of World War II? Like, I have no idea what that history is. Yeah. And my guess is that just sort of like you named earlier, that the roots of Thanksgiving have this kind of tenuous connection to harvest, that there's something that is um, secular or something that is not specifically uniquely Christian or uh, sectarian of a particular Christian tradition, that like anybody who is grateful for existence can have a day to be thankful, and anybody who's had a harvest can be thankful about it. There's always kind of been this, well, yeah, you could be particularly thankful to God in Christ if you're a Christian, but you can just be grateful or thankful to God in general if you're a gener general theist, or you can be grateful to the universe if you're not really sure what you believe. Like, it's, it's, it's broad in that sense, and my guess is that that's made it sort of like a little ambivalent. How important is it that this have a in the church feel and how much of this is, no, we can, we do this as part of our, to be honest, kind of civil religion in a, in a way like this is one of those places where we do civil religion and we don't have to say specifics about Jesus. It's just, we're thankful and thankful for a lot, for people who are Christian. We immediately fill into, oh, well, I'm thankful to Jesus. I'm thankful to the God who is revealed in Jesus, but it is possible to be thankful without necessarily being uniquely Christian at it. To me, this feels like this might also be a, a place to recognize, like like you noted, that well before 1863 and well before Puritans in New England, there have been in human cultures places of Thanksgiving for harvest mm -hmm. in, my goodness, almost every culture and every civilization that had any kind of agrarian notion to it. And like, in a way, like even in the Hebrew scriptures, there are festivals of ancient Israel that you can kind of feel that tension between generic harvest festival and more specific, but we're going to remember some particular moment in the story of salvation and God delivered us. So like you get a notion with like, uh, you know, uh, harvest festivals, like, you know, um, uh, Sukkot, uh, you get different festivals that like get laid over with, well, we're thankful for the harvest and we're also thankful for the wilderness wanderings. And like, it, sort of like we do in Christian history where there are holidays that kind of have a seasonal connection, but also we've overlaid a particular, this is a moment in the Christian story that we're commemorating at the same time. And it feels like we've been doing that, man, for a whole lot more years than we even realize that, that ancient Israel did that same kind of a generic harvest festival. And also it's another occasion that we're celebrating. Yeah. And I think that it just makes sense to me that like, especially agricultural cultures yeah. would come together after the harvest to say thank you to whichever God they worship. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, there, there's that connection between, yes, I prayed to you throughout this, this season of planting and tending and growing and harvesting. And now look, I have this either good harvest mm -hmm. or man, this wasn't as good as I was hoping, but I'm going to maintain my faith that next year is going to be better. So I'm going to keep praying to you, which, whichever deity you yeah. are that I'm praying to that next year will be better. 
And so thank you for what happened this past year. But yes, also let's look ahead to next year and let's hope that it's even better than this year. Um, you know, that that's such a like that's a pretty common, I think, response in any agriculture sure. culture. Sure. Um who worships a God together. I, I guess I even think you, you get hints of that logic in ancient Israel in the celebration of first fruits that like at the beginning of the harvest, even before it's all done, it's I take the beginning of the, the harvest and I take a portion of it to offer to God. And it's both an act of hope of there's more to come and we're not going to starve the season because there's more, but also the first of it, I'm giving back to you, God, in thanks for there's more to come. And as an act of promise and that sort of reminder of we've been depending on you all throughout the growing season. Um, I, I, I guess in a way that in, in non-agricultural societies or in a time like ours, that still requires somebody to grow our food, but a lot less of us are directly involved in it. We sometimes forget that we are constantly dependent on someone to grow food and a, a planet that sustains that food growing and um, enough water and clean air and good soil that we sometimes just take it for granted. And I, I guess in a way, like to me, this makes a case for why maybe it's worth recovering some of those roots of thanksgiving and the way it's connected to the agricultural cycle and to the soil because in the culture in which we live that tends to see everything as just a commodity for sale and who knows where how it gets to the grocery store before it gets to the grocery store to remember there are people who worked awful hard before i paid my dollars for the food and that i'm not owed it but somebody worked hard for it and we have a world and a planet that we are thankful for that allows us to keep eating and living and surviving but that we live in a culture that kind of has amnesia about that, maybe. Or willful ignorance. Ooh, yeah, maybe that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like, I think I've seen um, <clears throat> on one of those, like, clickbaity articles that <laughs> Facebook has every once in a while of, like, dumb things people have said on the internet. Uh -huh. And, you know, it was somebody complaining about the long days of the harvest, and somebody else commented, well, why do you even bother be a farmer? You can just go to the store and buy your food. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. uh, who do you think grows all of our food? Right. Like, I think that we are having this like intentional disconnect with yeah. how our food is grown and prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess to me, that points to what I think at our best moments when we do gather for worship in community worship services at Thanksgiving, a stock point of the sermon there is how it shouldn't just be once a year, but we should always have this sort of lifeline. As much as that can be a cliche, like it's a cliche for a reason that we are not great at cultivating a mindset of gratitude or thankfulness all the time or being mindful that our lives are constantly dependent on other people and on a world that sustains life and a God who makes all these things possible. And it's real easy to treat everything as a commodity that's just available for sale and there will always be more at the store. But to say, no, it's not always like that. And maybe maybe if you've lived through lean times when there wasn't a good harvest or lived through something like a Great Depression when there wasn't stuff around uh, or lived through particularly difficult years, it has a way of changing and you don't take things for granted, or at least you don't have to take things for granted where... Others might just, oh, there will always be food on the table. There will always be, you know, food on the shelves. There will never be shortages. And like, no, we are not guaranteed that. And when you go through a time of leanness or a bad harvest or whatever, it has a way of opening your eyes to go, oh, a lot of stuff I just took for granted. I, I should not have taken for granted. 
And I kind of wonder with our current last couple of years of the supply shortages, mm -hmm. if maybe that isn't a great way to start approaching this conversation of we are suddenly very much aware that if one thing suddenly is in short supply, suddenly this thing, this thing, and this thing, it's really hard to make. It's really hard to make enough of it to go around. Like, um, you know, I heard that there, we had a poor year of cotton this past year. And as a result, or like last year, and as a result, it's been harder to find certain things like, tampons or diapers or all of these things that you wouldn't necessarily realize or think of like oh yeah you do need a lot of cotton to supply an entire country yeah. with these hygiene products I, I i feel like there were moments in the hardest point of the the pandemic when it began to hit home for people the things that they expected to always be there and they weren't there and as more of life has returned to normal I discover even in my own life how easy it is to slide back into complacency and to forget and like, no, I'm owed. There should always be my brand of whatever on the shelf or there should always be or frustrated when there's not rather than grateful when there is. And, you know, here I am, someone who is a religious professional whose job is to try and keep centered on the things that matter and to practice gratitude and how easy it is for me to slide back into that sort of attitude of entitlement, how much easier it is for a wider culture that isn't compensated as their job to do that. It, it, that that's a hard thing to, to, to row against. I want to toss out for uh, each of you, maybe are there places in your ministry life where you try and uh, make those connections to gratitude as a way of life and not have it just be at the once a year community church service with pumpkin pie afterwards, but as a more central interest. So it doesn't just become a cliche or a throwaway, but like a, a way of life. What are, what are ways that you try and practice that either personally or in your ministry? So I personally struggle with this. Like I always like November comes around and then, inevitably i have like five facebook friends who every day in the month of november mm -hmm. share what they're grateful for mm -hmm. and it's always one of those things i'm like oh what a great idea i'm going to do this and then end up by like day five i've fallen off the bandwagon because mm -hmm. it's like ah uh, I, you know, I've said like the really obvious ones already, like what else am I grateful for? And if I say this like really, really a mundane thing, like I'm grateful for the crayons that I have, like, you know, how, um, like, is people actually going to find that interesting? Like, is that good enough to be grateful for? And <laughs> right. then I, and then I start overthinking it and then I'm just, I end up being done. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with that, like keeping track of what I'm grateful for mm. and then expressing it in a way that I feel like is a good way to express yeah. it. And again, this is me overthinking things. Um, but like, no, I, I struggle with this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've been one of those friends there, but that's that November thing. I'm always impressed by those who can do it. Like, good and, on you i wish some, i could sometimes by day five i'm i'm in the same boat and i'm like okay 
uh, whatever I say that's not a mundane kind of thing. Um, and then I always say, okay, I'm going to keep this going through December. And then if I got, if I made it the whole way through November with maybe a few missed days and so you catch up and you list a couple of days worth of thankfulness, I, I get into December and I'm like, well, they're going again because <laughs> I'm not one um, to post that kind of stuff um, faithfully. Um, but like in worship every week, when I do my pastoral prayer and when um, when I do the offertory prayer, the offertory prayer is always, you know, God, we are thankful for all that you have done for us. This is our way of showing our thanks, mm-hmm. um, not because we have to give our money, but because we want to show our way of saying thank you. And this is the most tangible way to do that. Um, but my pastoral prayer always starts off with some sort of level of thanksgiving thank you for the beautiful weather for the sunshine for for answered prayers for whatever um in my personal prayer life that's not always the case but i try to model that for the congregation on sunday to start with thanksgiving before we just jump into god i need this or you know i need this that and the other so and so needs this and you know let's say thank you even if it's things like the fall leaves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it, that's still something to yeah. be thankful for it doesn't help Especially the fall favorite season, still but... pretty november yeah yeah so i mean that's what that's what i try to do to me this gets at one of the like core ideas underneath gratitude is the recognition of the contingency of our lives that it didn't have to be the way that it is mm-hmm. um and that like for for me, the things that you named, like the beauty of leaves in the fall, feel to me like a thing that is, a, is an especially beautiful thing to be thankful because it recognizes there is nothing um, like by the rules of physics that requires that there to be beauty. Yeah. And yet the fact mm-hmm. that there is beauty says to me, like, for me, that's one of the, it, it God, God didn't have to make a world where there were beautiful things or that I had a sense of beauty to perceive mm-hmm. it. And yet I do. And th- there's this extravagance there that I I can be grateful for basic sustenance and nourishment, but that feels like utilitarian. But like the the small graces that maybe aren't useful, but are beautiful anyway, or the things that didn't have to be mm-hmm. feels like. And, and in that sense, the step toward getting toward gratitude is first practicing awareness and mindfulness and paying attention to things that otherwise we've been walking past and taking for granted. If, if maybe the enemy of thankfulness is um, indifference, is like being so yeah. busy you don't notice things, that like the step toward how do I practice gratitude? How do I even just stop and go, God, you made something good. Thank you for that, is to stop and notice the things. It reminds me of the of that line from uh, Alice Walker's novel, The, uh, the Color Purple, uh, where the title comes from about the two characters talking back and forth. And one person says, I think God gets mad. I'll, I'll sanitize it for the purpose of our coverage. I think God gets mad when somebody sees the color purple in the field and doesn't stop and notice it. That like that, this reckon, and I, I, I don't know that God actually gets mad, but like that God puts beauty in the world and that we are constantly walking right on past it either. Like we are owed it or like it's, it doesn't matter or but the, the the way to get better, at least for me, of practicing thankfulness is to start with mindfulness, to start with paying attention more. And then it becomes less about putting on a show of, did I do enough public thinking, but more did I stop and notice the goodness that was all around me, lavished on me, even, and that God takes the risk all the time of putting masterpieces out there in the world. And we walk on by like we're owed it. 
is that why because okay something on Facebook that I've noticed both you and Erica have been doing the last couple of weeks or possibly longer is like taking pictures like it's not every day but it's quite often taking pictures fairly early in the day and it says and you always post something along the lines of good morning god or good morning, good morning. world that god loves mm -hmm. is like that part of what you're doing uh well may maybe in a like a unintentional unconscious way i mean like i guess i hope i get better at it enough that i'm doing it in ways that i'm not even aware that i'm doing it but like i would say i've tried in more recent years of my adulthood to stop and notice things uh, that are worthy of appreciating rather than walking past them. And I guess I'll also say this is a place where technology has actually helped me rather than hindered me. There's lots of ways that technology is a pain and makes it harder to pay attention to the world. But because I walk everywhere with a camera now, because we have them all in our rectangles of technology, I, there are moments when I go, man, that's beautiful. And I think for a moment about like, how can I frame this in a way that like the power lines aren't in the way or something like that. Mm -hmm. But like, and I, I notice that I'm noticing more. Like I notice that I will pay attention to the rain that's still hanging on the berries on the bush in my driveway. And instead of just complaining, I've got stupid thorns at the end of my driveway who planted these stupid thorn bushes. I notice things that are beautiful more. And um, I don't know that it was intentional. Like I will do this so that I will practice gratitude better. But I would say I'm trying to be better at noticing things and I don't know how good I'm getting, but I do notice I'm finding more beauty than I, I used to. And I, I've always kind of have noticed those things. I'm very much a nature person and where I currently live, I'm, I've got a gorgeous backyard full of it. Um, and so I stole the phrase from Steve <laughs> to use on my post. Um, and like the latest one I put out there, it was this big, big, huge, I'm guessing oak tree or whatever. I don't know mm -hmm. trees mm -hmm. with yellow leaves and it was foggy. And like, I noticed it while I'm sitting down eating breakfast. I'm like, I need to capture this Yeah. at this moment before the fog burns off. Yeah. Um, and then when I see pretty things, I like to share them with other folks because, you know, why not? Um, but like my churches just went through Richard Foster's celebration of disciplines and Foster throughout that book talks about connecting the disciplines to nature mm -hmm. a lot. And since we're in the fall season and fall is my favorite season because of the beautiful leaves, you know, I, I've constantly tried to remind my parishioners about, you know, the beauty that's around us. And, you know, Steve, you were talking about, you know, the food is utilitarian, like you need to eat. Mm -hmm. But I like to remind folks, like, we need to eat, yes, and there needs to be plants and, and animals so that we can eat. But we God did not need to make food tasty. <laughs> God did not need to make colorful leaves in the fall yeah. or colorful flowers in the spring. Like, we could live in a black and white world where everything tastes the same. And it would still be a good world. Mm-hmm. But God has made it in a way that we can enjoy it, um, you know, and, and I've never read The Color Purple, but I like that line um, about seeing something like that in a field and just like, even if it's for a split second, yeah, yeah. taking that moment to notice it and say, that's really cool. It reminds me of another line of uh, the playwright Thornton Wilder, who says, and this one like is burned into my consciousness. He says, 
we can only be said to be alive in those moments when our hearts are conscious of their treasures. And I like that, that notion that like being, being grateful isn't just a matter of good manners. And I think I grew up with a fair amount of like, the reason we go to church at Thanksgiving is it's polite to have good manners and you're supposed to say thank you because that's how you teach kids. You're supposed to be polite. But like, I like the way Wilder suggests, like I'm more fully alive when I'm conscious of the, the goodness that is around and to recognize these things have been placed in our lives as gifts and I guess I think, and this may be the Lutheran in me too, but that part of what it is to be um, conscious of the presence of God is to realize that God keeps taking the risk of putting good out there in the world and giving it to it to us. And not only that we won't earn it or deserve it, but that we won't even notice it or pay attention or say thank you back, that God keeps taking that risk on loving us or showing goodness to us moment by moment and day by day, regardless of the fact that we often keep on going with their lives and don't even realize it. Like I think about that so often when we think about that story that's often used as the scripture text in community Thanksgiving services when Jesus heals the 10 uh, with leprosy and only one comes back to say thank you to Jesus. Um, and like that, that part of the beauty of that story is that Jesus doesn't unheal the other nine just because they don't come back and say thank you to him personally, but that the, the miracle is out there and that grace is kind of reckless that way. I, I guess I think that's, that's yet one more thing to be thankful for, but part of the beautiful irony is that God takes the risk of doing good to us, not dependent on our thankfulness, but regardless, unconditionally, even if we are ungrateful jerks. Yeah, you know, we always view that passage that God sends rain on the on the good and the evil. And not being in an agricultural society, we think, well, rain, rain is right, bad. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that means God sends yeah. good and bad on everybody. No, <laughs> no, rain is good yeah. in the in the time and and place in which Jesus shares that. And, and, and so like you're saying, Steve, you know, God sends rain on the stinkers yeah. that need it for their crops as much as he does for those that follow him. And to sharpen it even further, like this is one of the things I absolutely love about Jesus' whole theology in the Sermon on the Mount, or in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Plain, he sharpens it even further. And after mentioning the God's and son and, and rain on the just and the unjust, uh, and so we should be merciful, like God is merciful, he says, for God is kind even to the ungrateful and the wicked. I mean, like it specifically calls out that God is gracious even to people who don't notice purple in the field and to people who are rotten stinkers. And Jesus doesn't see that as a design flaw on God's part. Oh, if only God knew, but no, this is part of the heart of who God is, that God's grace is by definition given even to people who are turned away from it and ungrateful for it. And for me, that's like yet one more thing to be thankful for, Mm -hmm. um, but that it's given without the, this isn't just about learning good manners, but about consciousness of our treasures. To me, that raises one other point of connection um, that uh, I I think is is worth naming every time we get the chance. And that's that at least uh, in in, in my tradition and in many traditions as well, we sometimes call the sacrament of Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, also the Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word Eucharist to give thanks. Um, And it comes from that line in the liturgy that we sometimes call the great Thanksgiving, where there's a call and response uh, about um, giving thanks and we give our thanks to God and all that kind of, but that at the heart of what the church invented as liturgy around this meal of Jesus was framing that in terms of thankfulness. So that every week in my tradition, 
we gather for Thanksgiving dinner in a sense uh, that is centered not on Turkey and pilgrims uh, and a quasi mythical retelling of a story that may involve more cholera than we care to admit, um, but on the story of Jesus' gift of death and resurrection. And again, that, that has a way of making it not just a once a year thing we're supposed to do because American civil religion says we have to, but it's, it's part of our lifeblood. It's part of our daily, weekly rhythm of life in a way that I, I kind of imagine Sabbath was meant to be, you know, that like Sabbath had this rhythm of you get to rest today. You can be thankful to God who gives you this rest rather than once a day, God requires that you sit in church once a week as payment for No, it was, it was never meant to be that. And we have a way of turning church into that, but instead Sabbath as a day of rest to be thankful for. And that, that weekly rhythm feels to me like that's something important to carry over too. Are there other things you think we need to say about uh, how Thanksgiving works in our lives or church life or what we make of it here in this time of year? So Thanksgiving is, uh, um, as we all know, a day of eating, right? It's based off of a feast that, um, in theory, the pilgrims and Native Americans shared together. Um, and it's continued to revolve quite around food, right? Um, but what we eat today, the traditional Thanksgiving feast, is certainly not what the pilgrims would have eaten all those years ago. They probably um, would have had more lobster, actually. And seal. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and swans. And like, you know, they had a whole bunch of different things that they would have eaten. Um, and I believe I read once that they were out of sugar by that fall. Mm -hmm. So no pies, nothing really sweet unless yeah. it was naturally sweet. Like corn can sometimes yeah. be very sweet. Um, but like when you think of Thanksgiving now, it's a turkey, stuffing, potatoes, rolls, cranberry sauce, various vegetables, pie. Um, and I've always been torn every year because I love all those foods. Like I love the Thanksgiving feast. Um, but I also occasionally wish that it wasn't always so set in stone about these are the things we eat. These are the recipes mm -hmm. that my family uses. Um, uh, I know one colleague that I went to seminary with, he has made it a practice every year to take a look at a culture that the United States has in some way oppressed or, or is in conflict with and he will take those traditional foods and that's what he eats for thanksgiving mm. as a way to just kind of make this not be a just a holiday going hooray america mm. but rather like an acknowledgement of as a society as a country we have done great harm to other cultures and here's one way that I personally can keep those other cultures alive and well mm -hmm. or remembered or mm -hmm. honored in some way. Yeah. It reminds me, I was reading not long ago um, a, a book uh, that was looking at uh, the letters to the Romans and Colossians in their imperial context in the first century. And they were talking about how much the image of plenty and abundance was also an imperial symbol and that like how much in Roman culture, the what we call the cornucopia that we associate with American Thanksgiving goes back further to as an imperial symbol and that the the Romans even had a, a deity, abund, abundancia, like the just the Latinized word of our word abundance. And this was a deity who brought abundance and prosperity and was, you know, minted on coins and carried a literal cornucopia, uh, you know, a horn full of harvest. And that 
the Empire used that as an image of like, we are the ones who give you good things. So yes, you should be thankful to Caesar. You should be thankful to the Empire. And that Christians didn't reject that by saying, no, we shouldn't be thankful at all, but rather a corrective of to whom we should be thankful. And that it wasn't Caesar. It wasn't the Empire. It wasn't one nation state uh, as lovely or as terrible as they might be or some mix of both, but that it was God to whom we are to be thankful. And like, that's one of those moments that, I guess I feel is important for us to have in a conversation like this, that even though there are reasons historically why our celebration of Thanksgiving has that feel of American civil religion of you don't have to be a Christian, be thankful, just be thankful. You can be anything, but it's a national holiday. It can be real easy for that to slide into, oh, the sentiment of Thanksgiving is you should be thankful to America rather than, you know, thankful to God. And you can, if you live in America, you can be thankful for the good things of being in America. You can also be um, aware of the ways that our way of life has not been good for everybody or is not good for even people who live within our culture, but also to say that we don't have a corner on the market of gratitude, that there are people all over the world who eat very, very different foods and can be thankful to because they have what they eat and rather than the only right way to celebrate it is with my menu which turns out not to be authentic after all but that awareness of we're not we're not we're not playing a new version of that same old roman game of be thankful to the empire for the empire's goodness but about being thankful to god it kind of reminds me of at christmas time we do the same thing about how in some christmas carols we cast the story of jesus birth like it happened in winter time up in northern europe <laughs> um and like they're like you know traditional songs like in the bleak midwinter when there was all that snow around baby jesus and I'm like well no for the <laughs> you might have come from a culture that celebrated the birth of jesus when you had snow on the ground but that doesn't mean there was snow for when jesus was born and how we sometimes get those confused and turn into no traditional christmas you know pine trees <laughs> like no traditional Christmas, you know, subtropical, equatorial desert climate, uh, and a bunch of refugees fleeing from Herod, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, you know, what's the difference between <laughs> snow and sand? Really? <laughs> fair, fair enough question. <laughs> well, whatever is going to be your practices in this season, we would ask you, we would invite you to practice gratitude. And if that starts with saying things out loud and post it on social media, go for it. If you aren't the kind of person to say it out loud, but just take a moment to pay attention when you could be busy with other stuff, stop and take a moment to be appreciative. And perhaps in this season, be conscious of the treasures among you as you do and find yourself made more fully alive. Join us for more conversation here next time on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.